Hello listeners, you are back for episode four of Conversations from Isolation with DVR. We have a very exciting guest today, so I'm honoured to introduce to you the lovely Natasha Baker, MBE. Natasha is a five-time Paralympic dressage champion and five-time European champion. At the London 2012 Games, she won double golds and set a Paralympic record for her freestyle. Her double gold achievement was recognised by the Queen and she was honoured with an MBE. Overall, Natasha has won so far 11 gold medals and five silver medals for both the London and Rio Paralympics, the World Equestrian Games and European Championships. Hello, Natasha. Hello. (laughs) It sounds really weird you reading all of that out. I'm like, did I actually do that? Did that happen? (laughs) It is amazing. Honestly, it it doesn't even feel real. Yeah, I I just think that I live this like alter ego life. It's so cool. I must admit, even obviously completely different situation, but even with the brand, I do it where I'll have an accomplishment in mind and then everything goes on to achieve it. And then when you achieve it, you enjoy it and you're like, oh, I've done it. But then it's kind of just in the pile and you don't really consider again how big that was because you're on to the next thing, aren't you? And what else you want to prepare for? Exactly. And there's always something else, isn't there? There's always like that next competition or that next goal that you're aiming towards. I always try and celebrate my successes, but you're then trying to focus on what's next and getting better. Yeah, I read a thing before that said about how it's not that a goal's got smaller, it's that you've grown. And it's about how you kind of grow and grow and grow on your aim to something that you're going for. So then when you actually achieve it, it feels a lot smaller and it never is you see that as smaller but that's just because of how much you've grown and I quite like that it's like that that hasn't changed but you've almost you know climbed above it yeah definitely and I think you know life is just such an ongoing process isn't it and you learn something new every day and yeah you just grow as a person and like I can remember in London not really believing that it had happened and I'd worked for 12 years but when I I was actually there it was like the most surreal thing in the world and even now like Rio felt more real whereas London I think because it was my first one I was just a bit in awe of everything around me and I was like wow you know like that heart eye emoji I was just like that for three weeks (laughs) (laughs) yeah do you think that made it easier or harder like is it easier when you know what's coming a bit of both um so in London I was only 22 I had no idea of the scale of the Paralympic Games. Like, obviously, I I knew it from watching it on TV, but when you're actually in it and you're wandering around the village and when you're actually there at the competition venue and seeing all of these thousands of people, that's when it really, really hit me. Um, But because I was the underdog, I didn't really have the pressure on my shoulders going into London. Whereas going into Rio... I was much better prepared because I knew what to expect when I got there. So it wasn't that big, oh my goodness. Whereas I had so much more pressure on my shoulders going into Rio. So you set your bar very high. (laughs) Yeah, and and I was expected to be the Paralympic champion again. And so that, that took a lot of work in a very different way. So both games were incredibly different for me. 
Yeah, I can see that. Uh, let's get some background information. So how did you begin riding and are your family horsey? Um, a bit of both. It's all my mum's fault, really. I tell her that on a regular basis. Mum was massively, massively horsey and still is. Um, she doesn't ride anymore. But when I was growing up, she didn't want to be a pushy parent. And she'd seen loads of her friends buy ponies for their kids and they'd lost interest and then they were stuck with the pony that they had to sell on or whatever. And so I had to to ask to ride every time and I had to kind of show willing and show a passion for it and I did loads of other things as a school child so I went to swimming classes I did brownies I played the piano I played the violin really badly me too I joined you <laughs> so bad like mum dreaded me practicing <laughs> my parents are so thrilled when I stopped <laughs> Oh dear. I thought I'd got to quite a high level as well, but apparently not. I think it's one of those instruments you have to be like exceptionally good at to make sound good. And I was definitely not that person. So yeah, and like all of those other things just kind of fell away. But riding was always something that I wanted to do. And, uh, and we didn't really have a pony at the yard that was suitable for me because of my disability. And so I was having regular physiotherapy at school and one day my physio called my mum and said can you please take Natasha riding she is driving me mad because she won't talk about anything other than horses and you know it's all thanks to Catherine really because she got me into the RDA and I guess the rest is history. Oh that's really nice so what is your disability and how has it affected how you had to learn to ride? Uh, So it's called transverse myelitis it's a really really rare uh, neurological virus that I caught when I was a baby and it basically attacks the nerves in a section across the spine and I was born without a thyroid so I had a weakened immune system anyway and they think that that's probably why it attacked um it was just one of those things I love being very rare which is quite cool and it's even rarer for a baby to get it so yeah I was 14 months old and literally collapsed one night my mum picked me up like brushed me off had a bath had dinner went to bed completely normal and woke up like a rag doll I couldn't cry I couldn't talk I couldn't move any part of my body so really really scary for my parents and my dad was a greengrocer at the time so he'd gone to market and so mum was all on her own when she found me so yeah incredibly scary they originally thought that it was Guillain-Barré syndrome which you can make a full recovery from but more tests and we found out that it was actually transverse myelitis some people can make a full recovery but my nerve damage had gone too far and so I was left with uh, nerve damage in my spine and weakness in my legs because I was so young I don't really remember or I don't remember at all my life beforehand so this is kind of normal to me so I don't really remember having to learn how to walk again 
but when I'm riding, I can't use my legs at all. They are completely useless. They just hang. My left one is really loose. My right one is really tight. So if you see videos of me, my legs might be flapping, but that is completely involuntary movement. So I retrain all of my horses to the use of my voice. And I can also use um, my upper body so I can position my seat in a particular way. Um, and that also obviously then has an influence on the horse. To. Yeah, definitely. So day to day, how does that affect you? So I can walk short distances with my walking sticks. I've recently started using two because I found in my riding, I was really one sided. I always used to growing up use my walking stick in my left hand because my right leg is weaker. It gave me the support, but um, I was finding that I was very one side dominant. So I've started using a walking stick for the past couple of years with both arms now and then I have a really cool pink mobility scooter called Jordan and I also have a wheelchair the the wheelchair is easier for me to get in and out of the car so I tend to use that when I go shopping when I'm allowed when I'm not in isolation and then um, I use my scooter for the competitions and stuff she's more of like a four-wheel drive kind of version so I can get around on her much easier like around the yard and those kind of environments. Can I ask you something you know how you said um, one of your legs is tight Do, does physio on your legs help do you still have that I know you said you have that at school. Yeah, massively. I go to physio every single week. And that's what I'm actually really struggling with being in lockdown, not being able to go. So yeah, having physio every week is really important because I tend to because my upper body is really strong. Like as a child, I couldn't use my legs at all. So I couldn't even walk when it first happened. And so I used to drag myself along using my upper body and on the floor, I pull myself up. So everybody thinks that I've been like working out in the gym but actually I've just got these massive biceps from just having to get around using my upper body. Well you don't realise how heavy like even one limb is on us until it's kind of um, not in use. Last year my granddad had motor neuron disease but just when his arms went and then we'd move them for him the weight so I can imagine the amount that you were pushing up kind of even as a child, you know, it's proper workouts, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my mum feels it when she legs me up onto the horses because like I get on a block, but then I can't jump. Like I can't push myself off the block to get on. So so she's always calls me a dead weight. But I literally am because, you know, I, I haven't got that ability. So I'm kind of pulling up rather than pushing up. But yeah, limbs are incredibly heavy. Was it easy to find a local RDA and um, find out where to train? I was really, really lucky because my school had good links to South Bucks RDA, which was my local RDA group. But they are so busy and they work back then they didn't have a single slot for me so because I was quite local what we did was my mum always used to teach other people um, give riding lessons on a Saturday and my dad as I said was a greengrocer so my granddad used to call up every Saturday morning and say have you got a space and they would be like yep somebody's called in sick and so they can't come for their riding slot come in at this time and we used to literally be able to drop everything and my granddad used to take me there and I think the RDA could see how dedicated we were as a family to really make it possible for for me to be able to ride and so 
as soon as the slot came through, I was put straight in it and had then regular weekly sessions. But the RDA has developed so much since I first started there. And now normal riding schools can have RDA slots within their weekly sessions. And there's so many more centres opening up now that although they are so busy, it is slightly more available than it was 22 years ago. How important was riding to you when growing up? Massively. And from every single aspect as well. So I think mentally it was really good because riding kind of gives me that freedom that I don't get from being able to run around, especially at school, because you want to be down with the kids, you know, you want to be running around the playground and I couldn't do that. So for me growing up, being able to get on and do things the same as able-bodied children could or if not better that was a massive plus for me yeah and it must have been a massive confidence boost as well it must have felt really really great hugely but also physically it's really helped me with my disability as well it's given me strength and tone um, in my body that I wouldn't be able to get from doing anything else so there's plenty of benefit also for mental health obviously just being around the animals it's made me realize especially at the moment when we are in lockdown how important that time with the animals is and I haven't got quite so much access as I normally would have at the moment and so really not taking that time for granted I just love being around horses and my dog they don't judge you they take you for what you are and they listen and take everything in and just offer you comfort like nothing else and that's so special 100% and when it's only when you're away from it you kind of appreciate even just being able to watch them in the field all the little things that you kind of take for granted when in a day you've got so much to get done I mean it's good sometimes to step away and at least we'll all come back a lot more appreciative of our time with them hopefully yeah I think we're all going to come back more appreciative of everything to be honest I think so yeah I can't wait to just just like hug friends and family that I'm not with yeah 100% yeah it's mad times isn't it at the moment but I think it give you such great perspective even if you're having a rubbish day and you're feeling so down actually you've got so much going for you and so many good things that I think this is making us really appreciate those. Definitely, I agree. How did you go from learning to ride to taking on your first horse and realising your potential? So I was a very ambitious young girl and I was watching the Sydney Games in 2000 and by this time I'd been at South Bucks RDA for about two years and I was doing kind of just general stuff and I watched the Sydney 2000 games with my parents and I saw dressage for the first time and I was totally mesmerized by the dancing horses and I saw Lee Pearson who is the most successful para dressage rider of all time I saw his disability and I thought well if he can do it there's no reason why I can't do it so I announced to my parents at 10 that I was going to win a Paralympic gold medal doing dressage one day and that was it basically and I don't think for one second they didn't believe that I would do that and so I went down to the RDA for my next session and I told the chief instructor there that one day I was going to win a Paralympic gold medal and he was like well 
let's get started then. And I was so lucky because South Bucks was such and still is such a big centre for sports riding as well as RDA. All of the Sydney Paralympians came um, to South Bucks afterwards. And so I met Lee and saw his gold medal. It just enhanced my dream that a little bit more. And to be able to see him ride, I just wanted to be like him. He offered me to hold his medal and to wear it. And I was like, no, I want the first one that I hold and the first one that I wear to be my own. And you made it happen. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And I just feel so, so lucky that I have had so many amazing opportunities but yeah I think to be able to have met Lee so early on and and so quickly after Sydney that really kind of cemented my dream into place. Yeah just from someone that doesn't know anything. Have you had para dressage riders teach you from a young age? No not at all. Have you had any issues with instructors understanding how to teach because they ride in a different way yeah so when I was like five my mum used to take me to a local riding school and they struggled apparently I don't remember but because they kept putting me on different horses and ponies every week and I had a different instructor all of the time it was really really difficult to kind of get that continuity so my mum was getting quite frustrated by it and we didn't know that the RDA existed but then obviously then going into the RDA environment everybody is so disability aware all of the ponies are very disability aware and so they are all like trained off of the voice and so all of the instructors know exactly how to teach disabled riders but then I moved away from the RDA when I was 14 and I've had only Oh, three trainers since, and none of them have ever trained para riders before. And I kind of like it because they treat you the same as everybody else. And even if at the beginning, if they say more left leg, then I know what I need to do to counteract not being able to use my left leg. I just do it in my way. You can translate that into what you do. Exactly. That's really interesting. If you know what you do to get the horse to respond in that way, then hearing that instruction is absolutely fine because you can still make that happen. Exactly. As long as they're not expecting me to literally be able to see me kick um, because that isn't going to happen. But yeah, it's it, you just find your different ways around it. Yeah, it's just sometimes just eyes from the ground to tell you what the horse needs. Yes, exactly. And for them, it's it's automatic. Like, it, you know, if, if they're teaching loads of other able-bodied riders in a particular way then I want to be treated the same as them and sometimes there's things that I might really struggle with but I just have to explain why I'm struggling with it find another way and find a way to make it possible yeah yeah and I think I think it's a little bit of lack of confidence and I asked Emil Fury who is one of the best trainers in the UK if I could have a lesson and he was genuinely quite scared of me because a he didn't want me to have an accident but anybody can have one um but also he didn't want to offend me by saying something like use your leg but 
I think as soon as they realise that actually we're not that fast about being politically correct, you know, you just crack on and get on with it. I loved my lessons and trained me for like three, four years. So yeah, it does work. Definitely. And I've had really tough trainers as well, which is a good thing. Like, yeah, that they've really been on top of me the whole way, haven't let me get away with anything and been really strict. And and my mum's the same in her riding as well. And I think that's a really good discipline to to have is to be really hard on yourself if if something isn't good enough then you do it until it is from thinking back to when I was younger and anything that I where I've learned big lessons they've been where I have had the sort of teacher that I'd want to cry (laughs) oh yeah without a doubt I've had many an occasion like that parts going because your teacher's going to shout at you all of that's brilliant because it teaches you resilience as well it teaches you to deal with people oh yeah without a doubt how did the team selection happen and what was the process Uh, Team selection is run from the 1st of January every year. So that applies to World Championships, European Championships and Paralympic Championships. So um, take this year, for example, obviously um, we were trying to qualify for Tokyo. Um, So my plan this year um, was to do the Winter Championships, then do an international in May. We then have another nationals in June and then July is Harpery International, which every single year is our final selection trial. Um, And then the team is announced after Harpery. And what happens is at the end of the year before, they bring out a selection policy and you have to basically meet the criteria that's on the selection policy. And so they'll outline the competitions that they would recommend you to go to. You then put your proposed competition plan to the selectors and they will agree it or work with you to make maybe make some changes and then you will then go out and do that depends on how much you need to do so for example in London 2012 I was unproven and so I had to do quite a lot of competitions to get the results to be able to prove that I was good enough to go to London. Whereas in Rio, we were very proven as a partnership. We'd already done a Paralympics. He'd won umpteen gold medals and so I could do a lot, lot less. And that was, I guess, the difference then to now was I've proven myself. I just need to prove myself on Lottie. So you have to know your horse and know how much you need to do. But yeah, the the selectors pretty much tell you what you need to do to be able to achieve it. But even if you're winning and getting really high scores, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get the call up to the games because they factor in so many different things like the fitness of the horse, the fitness of the rider, international scores, so scores from other successful countries and team selection from those countries as well. Obviously, they have to take into consideration travel. So Tokyo is going to be around 20 to 24 hours traveling for the horses. So will the horse be able to cope with that? Will we be able to cope with the heat? So there's so many variable things and I do not envy 
be the job of a selector. It's so, so tough because, you know, you're going to make some people really, really happy and some people really, really sad. So it's really, really tough. And obviously you have to take into account whether the rider can cope with pressure, whether they can peak at the right time. So, you know, there's so many factors. It's not an easy job being selected. And your your previous results don't really count for a lot so you have to prove yourself all over again you know horses can change and you can have a bad winter come back and the horses not perform quite so well the following year yeah definitely so um how did you find your trip to Rio were you nervous about doing the travel with the horse I was less nervous than some of the others because in 2015 I took JP to Qatar and they have a competition in Doha and so he'd already flown and he had flown um Lee and I decided to do it together and so he and Zion flown together and so I knew how he reacted to flying he was buddied up with Zion again so I knew that those two boys would look after themselves and I mean it's always a worry because you are literally passing your pride and joy over to somebody else that's quite daunting but he was such a good boy that I had no doubts that he would be okay oh bless and it must feel really weird when you turn up in a country and your horse is there (laughs) it's so bizarre he was so happy to see me as well when I got to Rio it was so lovely so how did you go from having your riding lessons to getting your first horse when I was 13 that was when we decided that I needed to make a step up from the RDA ponies and The RDA gave me the opportunity to ride lots of different horses and ponies and gain so much experience from that. And I think that was invaluable. But I needed to to make that progression onto my own horse. And so we found Charlie. Um, He was Pammy Hutton's, Charlie Hutton's horse. He was bred for Charlie and he was also called Charlie. And he was seven and he had done a bit of everything, a bit of jumping, a bit of cross country, a bit of dressage. And he was such a great stepping stone he was really naughty he bucked me off so many times he very quickly got to grips with my disability and it was the first horse that I had ridden that hadn't been ridden by a para rider so it was him kind of figuring out what I can do what I couldn't do and he very quickly learned that I couldn't use my legs and so that's when I then found a trainer outside of the RDA as well because again I felt like I needed to make that jump up again and we went on and I won a couple of international titles on Charlie um so he was an amazing stepping stone and he taught me so much whilst I had Charlie I got approached by the um, top squad because I was on the development squad then so by the podium squad trainer um from an old horse he was 16 and he wanted an easier life he'd competed up to into one internationally um and uh, and so he wanted a bit of an easier life and he'd put me on to him he was about 17 one this massive chestnut gelding and he was so beautiful um bright orange loads and loads of white four white stockings and a massive white face and uh, he was ridden by Ulrich Mulgard who is 
approximately six foot five and his legs were probably about six foot of those and so um, and I'm five foot one on a good day so when I went to go and try Woody for the first time his owner kind of looked me up and down and was like there's no way that you're going to be able to ride my horse Um, and it took me probably around two weeks for me to get him out of passage Um, but he was an amazing schoolmaster for me I learned all all of the tricks on him and we went out and competed um, internationally and uh, and was incredibly successful and yeah he was he was an amazing horse I had him until he passed away a few years ago so it was Beijing coming up so Charlie wasn't going to be good enough to get me onto the team and so we had to sell Charlie which was heartbreaking but it had to be done because we couldn't have afforded to go and buy another horse so we sold Charlie and all of my university money went into finding another horse and it was actually one of Ulrich's horses so the guy that used to ride Woody he had another horse that he had for sale and we ended up buying him and he was probably the biggest disaster of my career. I had about six months of competition work with him and then he unfortunately did a suspensory and was off for 14 months so missed out on my Beijing dream and he literally did it like two days before the final selection of Beijing as well so I was like thanks Ludo uh, so yeah it was it was a massive disaster because not only was he injured and couldn't do anything with him we'd also spent all of our money on him so we had nothing left so begged and borrowed some money and got a very small amount of money together and went looking for another horse which was a real challenge because horses obviously don't come cheap not when you want a gold medal winning horse and went to a yard and it was a beautiful yard that the guy that owned it rented off to another dressage rider and we went to look at his horses and it it wasn't the right one for me and we had a cup of tea afterwards because he's a great friend of mine we were chatting away to Louise and JP walked past and both mum and I looked and we were like that's the one and so I left my contact details with Louise to pass on to Christian because he uh, JP was owned by the owner of the yard and Louise said oh Christian never sells horses you stand no chance basically and he'd pretty much given him to the groom. So we were like, well, I'll leave it anyway. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call from Christian saying, I hear you like my horse. Would you like to come and ride him? Obviously jumped at the opportunity and we ended up getting him in the August of 2009. 2010, I was selected as reserve for the World Games. 2011, we went to the Europeans and then it went on from there, really. Well, thank goodness as well, though, that he decided to sell him to you. We're such strong believers of everything happens for a reason and you know if we hadn't have gone to see that horse of Louise's we would never have seen JP we probably wouldn't have even been looking at that type of horse if we had a bigger budget and so you know if Ludo hadn't have gone lame we wouldn't have even started looking for a horse so it's kind of all thanks to Ludo going so wrong that everything went so right for me it shows you what you can do on limited budget and limited time and everything you know when when you're so passionate about something and when you want something so much you'll do anything 
to, to make it happen. And I guess that showed our resilience, really. There's always something positive that comes out of something negative. And it might take a really long time for that good thing to surface, but it will be there if, if you look for it. And if you want it as well, like it, I, I could have very easily been really down in the dopes and like given up, you know, I've been really negative about the Ludo thing, but it's, you know, you have to brush yourself off and get back on and, and carry on going. 